the head coach, just like the head of any organization, the leader is responsible. The commander is responsible. That means that you do your very best to get everyone on the same page, playing their butts off, having common ground and one sense of purpose, one voice, and then trying to win and holding people accountable along the way that they will develop the discipline and the habits necessary to be worthy of winning. Hey, sports lovers, get ready for a deep dive into the legendary careers and lives of sports' biggest stars with Hall of Famers, the podcast. Hosted by the pros who've guided and documented the amazing careers of these iconic athletes. More than just another interview, this is your all-access, all-season pass into what made these Hall of Fame legends great. From their humble beginnings and career highs to the breathtaking pressures they've faced, we're taking you from obscurity to the world stage of immortality. And the excitement doesn't stop there. Hall of Famers fuels the burning debate of true greatness. Who's the real GOAT? LeBron or MJ? Jim Brown or Barry Sanders? Barry Bonds or Aaron Judge? Wonder what these legends are up to now? Stick around. Our commentary explores all this and more with the most entertaining twists and turns you can't get anywhere else. This is your worldwide sports adventure. Hall of Famers is like no other podcast because it covers the all-time greats from all the major team sports. No matter what your favorite sport is, Hall of Famers has a story that will inspire you. Brace yourself for an unforgettable journey. Get ready for Hall of Famers, the podcast where legends never retire. Welcome to part two of our discussion with legendary coach Mike Krzyzewski. For those of you that joined us in part one, we explored Coach K's humble beginnings in Chicago, the impact his years at West Point had on his beliefs and on his coaching of some of the greatest basketball players of all time. In today's episode, we will continue to explore Coach K's views on greatness, his coaching philosophies, and much more. So get ready for an incredible ride with Coach K. Hey there, fellow sports enthusiasts. I want to introduce you to a game-changing opportunity to elevate your own performance, energy, and well-being, just like the pros. Ever wanted to be more productive at work? in the gym, and in the bedroom? Or how about lose a few pounds or even have a fuller head of hair? If you want this in your life, that's where Evolve Telemedicine comes in. Evolve offers cutting-edge approaches to personalized hormone therapies. And it's not just for athletes. Whether you're striving for more energy, aiming to shed those extra pounds, or just want to feel better every day, Evolve has a unique solution for you. Just picture a life where you wake up feeling great, are more productive at work, and have energy to enjoy time with your family and feel confident when you look in the mirror. Plus, you'll never have to miss another game, take time off work, talk to one of Evolve's expert doctors virtually from the comfort of your couch or anywhere you are. So if you're ready to have more energy, be more confident, and feel better every day, visit EvolveTelemed.com right now. That's Evolve, E-V-O-L-V-E, Telemed, T-E-L-E-M-E-D.com. 
And for a limited time, you can get $25 off your startup with code HOF or visit evolvetelemed.com slash HOF. Remember, it's Evolve, E-V-O-L-V-E, Telemed, T-E-L-E-M-E-D dot C-O-M slash H-O-F. Take control of your health today with Evolve Telemedicine. Coach, you know, I, I listed probably five or six of your achievements in the introduction, but you've had so many. I didn't even go into the ACC championships and the ACC coaches of the year awards and stuff like that. As a leader of men and as a coach, what would you say your greatest achievement is? I think it, I'd say two things. One leads to the other. Uh, I think I was honest with all my players. To me, the relationships that we have as men now, not as young men, to me, that's the best thing. The best win is winning for your country, you know, the Olympics. I mean, it's the whole world, you know, and to see at the end of the Olympics, you know, your flag going up, the national anthem being played and gold medals being put on those guys around their necks, there's nothing like it, you know, and that's the most pressure I've ever felt too is uh, coaching in the Olympics or the world championships. And it was such an honor to do it, but it's the wor- world stage. And uh, that's not to diminish a national championship because those are great, but uh, it's the whole world, man. And the relationships that were formed from that with LeBron, Carmelo, Dwayne, all these guys are lifelong relationships too. You share a moment. That's the cool thing about team sports. When you win, you don't jump up alone. Moments are terrific. Shared moments are the best with family, with teams, you know, you, you name it. Because it took all of you to get it. And, and then you all celebrate. So coaching team sports like that is given. Wow just an amazing amount of, of moments, <laughs> amazing amount of moments. Who would have known listening to ain't too proud to brag playing by myself and fantasizing that all this could happen, huh? Uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> temptations do amazing things for people. Yeah. Great temptations. <laughs> okay. Coach, you, Amongst your players and amongst, you know, some of us who have, like, followed you, you are two famous people in one. Your coolness is legendary. But so is your intensity. I would like to know, because, you know, that whole moniker being cool under pressure, never letting the moment get too big for you, you know, keeping everything measured in situations, we can always attach that to winning and how that helps win. What I'd like to know from you is the other side. How has your intensity helped shape your greatness? 
Well, I don't think we would have won without the edit, that intensity or the other uh, at times to be cool under pressure or calm under pressure. I think, Scoop, it's what you think a player or your team needs at the moment. And to trust the thing we talked about earlier, the relationship that you have with both the individual player and with the team. So someone might see a moment of great intensity and say, I would never do that. You know, how could you do that? And really, it was the only thing you should do. But because our group was trained to have that level of intensity, to have that level of honesty, you have to win that moment right then. There isn't time to sit around and, okay, let's talk about this. You know, how do you feel about this? What do you think? We don't have time for that. We got to do it right now. And right now sometimes means calm. And sometimes it means intense. And urgency, urgency, yeah. That's of urgency. But you have to train for those moments. And that's why X's and O's are so important, but they're not as important as the relationship X's and O's that you do. Because people make the X's and O's work. And then what you try to exact from your team and or them from one another. Like, you know, we've had guys on the court get on one another if need be, or hug one another, or you're okay, man, you know, whatever it is. It's being honest. And what are the set of standards of how you're going to live together that that group has consented to, has agreed to, to do? You as an outsider, we don't care about what, how you feel about that or that was wrong or that was right. Do we feel if it was right or wrong? And if it was wrong, then we should change it within that group. And we're outside doesn't know what you know, though. Outside does not know what you know. And they don't know your people. They don't know. Yeah, they don't know. And they'll never know. And so that's why you're accountable to each other and you're accountable to your expectations, not the expectations of the outside. And now can you form a group that's close enough to adhere to that? I'm not saying we were able to do that all the time. But we are able to do it a lot. Yeah, when you do it, it's it's it, man, it's beautiful. It's the best. It's honest, genuine, not self-serving. It's it's the best. It, it's the best. And not many people are able to ever be a part of something like that. And that's why when the moment occurs, when you win, after sharing that, it's an explosion of emotion. And it's not just because you won, it's because of how you won, how you, how you did it. And it's the why, not just the what. It's what what we did, why we did it, how we did it. Now there, you know, there, there's some other words in there, not just what we did. And, and that's the stuff that adds depth to it. What role does luck play in greatness? Or in, in, in attaining greatness, what role does luck play in your mind? 
yeah, luck is part of it. The bounce of a ball, the, you know, an injury. That's the greatest inhibitor of greatness is injury. An injury, not just for an individual player, for a team, affects chemistry. And sometimes an injury, especially towards an end of a season, it's luck. It, there's luck involved in that. Like you land on someone's foot and you sprain an ankle. You know, you. there's a little bit of luck involved in, in that. And we've been lucky and we've been unlucky. If you're in it long enough, you 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 experience both. You know, uh, you know it balances itself out. <laughs> hopefully, you know. I mean, one of the things I uh, wish I had a chance for was to coach Kyrie the entire year. He got hurt and almost ended his career with his toe injury. You only had it for like eleven games, right? Yeah, eight games. We're eight zero and lights out basketball. He okay. came back, but we were never at the end quite a few games. You know, on the, the the unlucky side, if Zion's shoe doesn't blow out, you know, he's out for three weeks in February and a little bit of March. The lucky part is not getting any injuries. Or right. Brian Zubek, who was injured most of his career, not being injured from mid-February when we won in 2010 until we beat Butler in an epic game, too. Brian Zubek was our best player because he had the continuity of being able to play. He had the biggest influence. And so we are lucky to have him come back. And, uh, you know, but if, if you really trace any sport, you're going to find a lot of some really outstanding teams that uh, did not win because that doesn't mean Definitely they would have won, but they would have a better chance. But a key player was in, injured. Bob Huggins lost one of his key players in the early 90s. And they were, Cincinnati was the number one team and just before the uh, the tournament. You know, North Carolina's lost a couple kids that would have changed, changed things for them. And so I, I think luck is more not just the bounce of the ball, but uh, injury-wise. Whether you put that under that category, what the hell, what category? We might as well put it under that one. (laughs) Along those lines, Coach, of all your teams, which one would you identify overachieved? You've had a lot of teams that have achieved greatness, but and, and, and the team doesn't have to have won it all. But I'm just curious if you had a team and you said, you know, this team really exceeded my expectations. And then the second part of that question would be, what player have you coached in all these years that you believe overachieved? You know, Lamont, you're putting me in that situation where my daughters <laughs> want to know which is my favorite daughter. Or not. <laughs> I'm going to make two of them really mad. Um, and saying that, uh, you know, I, I will say that my 2010 team over a period of a four-year, three- or four-year period developed because Shire, Zubek, Lance Thomas as freshman got beat in the first round. You know, we added 
Kyle Singler and we got better. But then the year before we won, Villanova blew us out in the tournament and, and they hit stride. That's that four-year development. And then we were really good the last couple months of my, of that year. And Zubek was a, a big part of it. I'll tell you this, my last army team, we were nine and 17. Okay. But we had overall 73 and 59. And we inherited a program that was seven and 44. So five years, we did a good job, but I lost six guys for different things, academics, honor, injury. And we had only won just a couple games, but in mid-February, we we hit stride and we won five of our last seven. We beat Navy in our last game, and we were nine and seventeen. We probably should have been, you know, four and twenty twenty two, and hated one another. Instead, we were nine and seventeen, and we loved one another. And this is why it's important for a coach to put it in perspective to the team, he or she has the opportunity to coach of what winning actually is. And winning is really always trying to do your best and play up to your potential. And you know, you use the word greatness. I was asked, what's the difference between greatness and champion? And I said, one play. Because greatness doesn't necessarily mean champion. That one play, the one free throw. Greatness probably achieved some championships, but not as many as it could. Because you go against someone else who's trying to be great. That's why we love sport. (laughs) Uh, We love to see those people in that arena going after it. And for me, that's what I've loved the most being in, in that arena. You see how I avoid this question? I know, I know. I wasn't going to follow up. Let it fly. I, right, right, right. I said, coaches say he doesn't. He got the sense. I know. I got, I got it. Well, no, I'm just hoping Scoop gets the, gets the, gets it. Right. No, I was trying to, I was, coach, I was trying to throw you one. I was trying to give you a lob <laughs> to like detract from having to answer the player question. Right. See, I, was yeah. trying, I was trying to make I, that happen. I wasn't going to go there again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But of the teams you just mentioned, really, I want you to take off your humble hat real quick. What role did coaching play in those teams overachieving? No, it always, uh, and from all the coaches, though. Yeah, okay. Not, not just the head coach. And uh, teaching, yeah, it, it, it's, it's important because uh, the head coach just like the head of any organization, the leader is responsible. That's what I learned at West Point. The commander is responsible. And uh, so what does that mean? That means that you do your very best to get everyone on the same page, playing their butts off, having common ground and one sense of purpose, one voice, and then trying to win. And uh, and holding people accountable along the way, that they will develop the discipline and the habits necessary uh, to be worthy of winning. 
to be worthy of winning. So yeah, the the person in charge is responsible for that. And hopefully that person uses the talents of all the people in the unit to to get it. I learned well, my, that- he's not help. He, my, he's not helping. I'm trying to give him to give himself some props. He's not helping at all, man. I got, you know what? I got <laughs> he, he's supposed I'm, to say, yeah, it is. It's all coaching. It's, it's all yeah. me. <laughs> At a younger age, uh, maybe when I was listening to Ain't Too Proud to Beg, uh, when I was 15, <laughs> I would have said, yeah, man, it's all on, on me as a player. Yeah. But uh, I've learned a lot, a lot since, since then. Yeah. Coach, coach I said, jump back on him. Jump back on him. Jump back on no, him. No, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't let him off the hook, man. <laughs> coach, he's not going to win. He's not going to win that. No. no. Coach, you have been quoted as saying that West Point is the basis for everything that you are as a man. Right. Talk to us about that. Well, it is. And uh, I was fortunate to go to West Point. I didn't want to go to West Point. I was recruited. I was either going to go to Creighton or Wisconsin. And my parents could not believe that I would not go to West Point. You know, their parents came from Poland. My mom said, Mike, that's where presidents go. And I said, Ma, I want to be a point guard. I don't want to be a president. And, uh, (laughs) and they, this all true. They put ethnic pressure on me. They would actually speak in Polish when they didn't want me and my brother to know what they were talking about. But they would talk every day in the kitchen in our flat in Chicago. And, but up, but up, you know, they're speaking Polish and then say, stupid. Up, but up, but up, Mike. And, uh, and finally I had enough. After two weeks, I said, I'll go. And I call it the best decision I never made. I had trusted my parents. You know what? They believed in me. They believed that I could do that and that I should go for it. I didn't even know that I should believe that or go for it. What a gift my parents gave me. And at West Point, I got a double dose of excellence. It's the best leadership school in the world. And I played for one of the best coaches in the world in Bob Knight. And so I was able to learn the game and learn about preparation, learn about leadership. I don't know if anyone's had that opportunity to learn from two extremes in talent in the thing that I wanted to be. I wanted to be a coach. I wanted to be a leader. All right. Now, learning it for those four years was not, you know, you know, you're laughing and joking all the time. It was, it was difficult, but it, uh, I learned and, 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 not only that, but I learned from being at the academy that a value-based organization will stand the test of time. You know, we, we had an honor code, still do at West Point. You don't lie, cheat, or steal, or tolerate those who do. And I understood the camaraderie that we had. If Scoop and I were in different regiments, there are four regiments, but we were in the same class. And after class... Scoop, you'd say something to me. I would believe you in an instant. Mm. And I said something back to you, you would believe me because we don't lie. Mm -hmm. And to be in that environment for four years, I mean, the friendships with my classmates and that that have developed are unbelievable. 
And so with every unit that I had a chance or every team I had a chance to lead, you know, we didn't have the honor code, but we had standards. You know, we didn't have rules. Uh, if you, you can either obey or disobey a rule. You never own it, but you can own a standard. You can own a value. And uh, so I use that as teaching points and trying to create the environment that would be conducive for success for uh, the military unit or the team that I had the honor to, uh, to lead. And did that become part of the foundation that you started to use to look into people's character? Because yes. what you just said has, well, okay, and, go, all right, all right. You know, and because West Point helped you in leadership, it also helped you in character development. You know, not many schools do that, that, it, it it's really why sport is so important in education because uh, at West Point, we believed in every cadet and athlete. Every cadet had to be an athlete in either intramural club or varsity because you learned character development in real time, you know, through sport. And, uh, and, and so the teaching of the sport and the teaching of the character should go they should be both, uh, all, both, you should be teaching both of those things. And, uh, you know, we did, even with the Olympic teams and that, we had our standards meetings and holding people accountable. Guys love that. They, they really, uh, they really did. Coach, we have just a few more questions. You've been very generous with your time and we're deeply appreciative of that. I'd, I'd like to know, you decided to stay at Duke. You had numerous opportunities to go to the in, to the NBA. What made you stay? I mean, that's very rare in today. We've seen a lot of great college coaches, I won't name them, that went on to the NBA. What kept you at Duke? Well, first of all, the time period, college basketball is just great. It's changed now. NIL, transfer portal, I loved college basketball. I still love college basketball. I don't know if I was young, if I would not go to the pros now. And I love Duke. Duke was so much like West Point for me. And the level of talent and the level of character that our school was able to attract made me better. And it made me hungry. But I, I believe in our university. And, uh, and, and we've really loved living in North Carolina. It's been great. So the salaries of college coaches escalated. Although when the Lakers came in 2005, that, that, that was the toughest decision for me because financially what they offered was crazy. And 40 million? Uh, was it 40 million, coach? Yes, for five years. But, and they were going to pay off the Emily Krzyzewski Center. Now, this is 2005, and that's their first offer. So, you know, now you're thinking like generational stuff, right? Like, uh, I never thought I'd think generational stuff, right? Remember, it started out where ain't too proud to beg. You know, <laughs> there wasn't going to be much begging. You right. Know? <laughs> no, not with 40 million. <laughs> if you did this, but uh, I love Duke. In college, and ironically, Lamont, a few months after that, Jerry Colangelo asked if I would be the first national coach for the U.S. 
So I got my fix the 11 years I coached the U.S. team. So I, I was really lucky. But um, if if it was today and I was like 60, there'd be a good chance I would look. Uh, af- after achieving some, you know, the championship. No. Sure. You know, like the same track record, but I'm 60. That'd be a good chance I'd go to. And right now I'm I'm doing some advising for the NBA. So I've, I've been in, uh, involved in their general manager meetings, their competition committee meetings. I'll be at the head coaches meeting in September. And uh, I've really uh, have loved doing that. At any point over the course of that time where you, you know, like the Lakers thought came into your mind or the money was put on the table, at least make you think about it. When you're thinking about making a decision like that, do you or did you personally think about your legacy? If this didn't work out, what it would do to your legacy and, and what you what you built at West Point, what you've done to do, what you've done as a college basketball coach. Did you worry about damaging your legacy of maybe going to the NBA at all? You know, I, I did not. I'll tell you what, though, after we won the Olympics in 2008 and I was asked to be the national coach again so that I have to coach in the 2010 World Championships and, and then in the London Olympics in 2012, I thought a little bit about that. Like, are you all right, that was really tough. You rolled the dice again. But overall, I have not thought as much about But that one moment I did, but not for college to pro. Okay. All right. The second one I want to ask you, just the last game at Duke, you know, part of speaking of your legacy is the players that you have been able to coach. Right. I've had conversations with many people about this. So I feel fortunate to have you here to ask you this. Was it 90 players that showed back up somewhere around there? Just under a hundred. I think. Okay. Yeah. You expressed it in that moment how it felt, but I want to ask you now that you kind of removed from it. One, how did it feel? Because I thought that was one of the most beautiful moments we've had in the sport of basketball for those players to come back. And it said a lot about you more than it did the moment and what you've been able to do to not just coach them, but still maintain a role in their lives that they came back to you. So one, what did it mean to you for that moment? And then second, how did you hold it all together? Because watching it, it hit a lot of us. And, but you still held together. And that goes back to that cool Mike Krzyzewski that we're talking about, for you to hold that together. So how did the moment make you feel now that you can look back on it? And how did you hold it together and not lose it? Well, we did lose the game. So Well, I'm talking about just no, personally. I know yeah, that. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, right, right, right. No, that's part of what I want to say is. Okay. It was, you know, it was an amazing moment with all my players there. And for me, I always tried to make the game the moment, you know, that I was coaching. And uh, I'm playing against North Carolina. They're an outstanding team. They want to beat our butts and whatever. I don't think I coached that game well. And again, even if I coached it well, they could have beaten us and they did beat us. I'm not taking away from that. It's just that that moment of being with all those, it was so big. And you almost then felt you were going to be gifted the next moment. You know, like 
the moment God uh, said, you know, you had all these players here, wait, we're going to let them lose? You know, and uh, the moment God doesn't work that way, <laughs> you got to be in, you got to be in the next moment because the team you're playing is in that moment. And, uh, but no, it's a, uh, yeah, obviously I would have wanted to win, but obviously I'm glad we had that moment. And yeah. that, uh, because it, it was unique, right? I mean, you know, who, who's going to have that? You know, not many people will ever have that. I loved it. And then, but I, I, I then I hated the result of the game. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, and it's interesting just to follow up on that, you know, because I remember watching that game. By the way, I was at the 91 game here in Denver because that's where I'm based at. But I watched that game, and even though that was your moment and your swan song, you were still the coach. You went in, then you came back out, and I remember you apologizing to the crowd and saying, we will play better, you know, in yeah. the future. And you just you stayed in your coaching moment, even though, you know, that was – really your swan song there at Duke. And I just thought that was, that was interesting. Yeah. It's uh, that's why, man, I'm so lucky to be in all this stuff. Right. I've eaten most of the food on the buffet, you know, uh, instead of sharing it. And, and some of the food is not, is losses, you know, and really when I say lucky, I really mean it. Like I thank God that, uh, wow, how did all this happen? And, it happened because I've been with good people at good places and good people at good places usually have a better chance of having good moments. Sure. And let me correct myself. The 91 game was not, it was the year before in Denver, but last couple of questions, coach, what is greatness in your eyes? Yeah, I think there can be the momentary greatness of an individual achievement, the perfect game being pitched. Uh, Leitner shooting 20 for 20 against Kentucky and winning that magical game. And any competitor wants to be, you know, the Tiger Woods or whatever, sinking that putt. There's that great moment, and that's greatness. And then there's, again, we're talking about time. Is it a season? where then you achieve greatness. And then are there seasons with that? And I'll go back to wanting to be in the moment and being prepared for the moment and then achieving the moment. And then you want to be, you prepare, and you achieve. And then you want to do it again and again. So greatness can be defined in each of those time frames, and you know, you guys have put me in the time frame of the longer one. But in order to be in the longer one, you'd have to be in the shorter one over a, f- a few times, and that means you want to do it over and over again. It's yeah, it's greatness is not a, it's not owned by anyone, uh, but it's achieved by some but it's not owned by anybody to you is greatness defined by winning or is it defined by something greater 
Well, the, the world will define it by winning. So I think the person that achieves the greatest time in a race and comes in third is great individually. They need to be told that. If you went to a Special Olympics race, the finishing of the race is great. But in our world, it will be defined by winning. Hopefully, for the individuals who are doing the greatest that they could do, it's acknowledged by someone who is coaching or teaching them at that point. But overall, the world looks at it by winning. But it's really achieved many times at other levels. But it's the top level that that person or team could have achieved. And, and Do you tend to look at it that way or do you look at it differently? I think I've learned to look at it that way. And that puts the time that you do win, wow. You know, because it, 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 yeah, then you appreciate it even more. You know, because you, like I've had teams that have been great that did not win the whole thing. And they're actually better than some of the teams that won or could have been at that time the best team but didn't win. In, in our roundtable discussion with hosts, and they're all journalistic except for me, we had, that that episode would premiere Thursday, I think, we discussed who is the athlete. We all had to identify an athlete that personified greatness. If you had to pick one athlete that, if you looked in the dictionary and Next to the word greatness was his picture, the personification of greatness. Who would your choice be, Coach? Yeah, well, it'd be a collage. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot get you. You will not allow me. <laughs> hey, Scoop, how about how about an inner city? The collage thing's pretty good, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. I like that. that was, is, 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 is mixed media. Right, it is a good one. Yeah, mixed right. media art. It's mixed media right. art, Lamont. There it is. Part <laughs> photograph, part painting, part right. sketch. You know, yeah, he's getting yeah. it all in. Good, good job. Put a, face, put a lot of faces in there. Uh, <laughs> there yeah, I couldn't think of one, just one. Uh, you know, for a long time in boxing, it would have to be Ali. That was you my know? choice. Yeah, but it, it, you can go from individual in different sports. And you'd have to look at great leaders, what people did, and yeah, that's why there'd be there'd be many faces. But for a long period of time in his sport, and put it out there, and actually used it to social change what the world looked like, uh, we would have to be, you know, right there. Right, right, right. Well, we want to thank Coach Mike Shashesky, the winningest coach in college basketball history, and. I'll say the greatest coach in basketball history. I want to thank you for tuning in. And until the next time, keep reaching for the stars. Thank you, Coach. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Coach. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. That's a wrap for today's deep dive into the sports world. Next time, we'll be back with even more stories of triumph, irresistible debates, and, as always, a high-level look into the lives of eternal legends. Give Hall of Famers a like and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you love to listen to podcasts.
Want to keep the convo going? Join in the debates and stay in the know with all things Hall of Famers on social media for exclusive behind-the-scenes content and a chance to link up with fellow sports buffs and our crew. Until next time, keep reaching for the stars.